Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to 90.3 KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We want to start off with a uh, rather remarkable announcement that... um, We have a very special guest in our second segment today, someone from the pages of history, Senator Eugene McCarthy of Minnesota, served as Minnesota senator between 1958 and 1971 and changed the course of American history in 1967 when he rose up to challenge Lyndon Baines Johnson, the sitting president, for the Democratic nomination. McCarthy's challenge, in fact, knocked Johnson out of the race. We, we want to thank uh, Roger S. Peterson, a historian who's appeared on this program in the past, a good friend of ours, uh, who told us a very interesting tale about the gunfight at the OK Corral and the history of the Earp Brothers, clarifying what, uh, what Hollywood has done to the legend. Well, talking to Roger, he turned out that he's from Minnesota. He had, uh, he had been to Hubert Humphrey's house and had met uh, Senator McCarthy and had worked uh, for Walter Mondale. Roger told us he'd just been speaking with Senator McCarthy, and um, I asked him, do you think that he'd uh, come on to our show and talk about, uh, uh, about what he knows? He said, I think he would do that, and indeed, he will be joining us in the second segment today. This will be most interesting, I assure you. Stay tuned for that. A couple of follow-ups. Um, we're, in fact, not going to delve into the matter of my uh, exploits south of the border, which I hinted at on next last week's program. I know that some of you want to hear the story I hinted at, but um, it is not yet the time to go there. Stay tuned. We will get back to that. And we're, we also didn't reach anybody from UC Davis to talk about the matter of dog genetics, which we brought up on last week's program. And again, we will return to that in the future, uh, I can assure you. I know that a lot of you like to keep track of that. Uh, Chris has written us to remind us on a couple of occasions that we need to return to the issue of corporations being a person. Uh, a controversial Supreme Court decision gave corporations um, an ability to be regarded in courts of law as, in essence, people, as human beings, only they're even better than human beings. That's another issue for another day. And uh, Chris, I know you're going to stay on us till we do cover that adequately, and that's okay by us. And as long as we're updating some things from pre- previous shows, let's do that before we go into our, uh, our news roundup. It turns out that down in Santiago, Chile, the Chileans went ahead and legalized divorce last week, despite loud objections from the Roman Catholic Church. Chilean President Ricardo Lagos made an indirect reference to Catholic opposition when he signed the law, saying the government, quote, cannot impose the positions of one sector of society on all Chileans, unquote. Perhaps uh, President Lagos might confer with uh, President Bush about uh, what one sector thinks it can impose upon others here in America as regards similar issues of birth control and, uh, and matters of abortion. 
we would remind you that the Catholic Church still maintains officially that birth control is a sin, period. Something which uh, most American Catholics just regard as loony and ignore, but uh, which holds a lot of sway in many parts of the world and in some sectors of the U.S., but this is indeed good news from Chile. Unhappy couples had to resort to tricks to end their marriages. They had to, to point to misspelled names, incorrect addresses. I mean, just, just, just legal chicanery to get what, you know, should be legally available and now, fortunately, is. Oh, and for the record, I was brought up a Catholic. And in a follow-up news story, which has an unfortunate outcome... Water meters, uh, a measure to require water meters in Sacramento and virtually every other major unmetered California community, sailed through the assembly. Assemblyman Daryl Steinberg of Sacramento had protected the Capitol from this lunacy, but unfortunately, I guess he's moved on to some other. He's lost the chairmanship of the committee, the Appropriations Committee, which decides which bills survive for a floor vote, etc. And I guess he's a lame duck legislator now, and so Sacramento's protection was lost. And I'm also sorry to report that Lois Walk, the assembly person who represents Davis, voted for this idiot bit of legislation. Why is it an idiot piece of legislation? Well, as people like Assemblyman Dave Cox pointed out, it boils down to Southern California telling Northern California how to conserve water. And why should we conserve water? Well, if we conserve water up here, we can ship it down there. There's no provision to do anything with the water supposedly saved from this meter measure that would guarantee that it's not shipped down to L.A. so that developers can continue to build homes and all of the dusty, rusty hillside arroyos down there uh, on our water. This is anti-environmental legislation masquerading as the opposite. My grandma, what long teeth you have. Uh, maybe someone should tell the Little Red Riding story to Lois Walk sometime. And we're also sorry to report the following item. San Francisco Chronicle, Friday, May 7th. FDA limits access to morning after pill. Yes, the Bush administration has done it again. The Food and Drug Administration rejected over-the-counter sales of the emergency morning after contraception, saying the distributor had not proved young teens could take the drug safely without a doctor's guidance. This decision was a rather unusual repudiation of the lopsided recommendation of the agency's expert advisory panel, which voted 23 to 4 late last year in favor of the switch and 27 to nothing that the drug could be safely sold as an over-the-counter medication. The article points out that this denial was a major goal of social conservatives, including members of Congress who lobbied President Bush on the issue. So if you uh, can't get emergency contraception and wind up having a child and, of course, having difficulty getting an abortion, don't worry. The Republican National Committee and social conservatives will gladly pick up the tab for the raising of your child until age 18. I'm sure of that, aren't you? All right, another follow-up. We told you this story a couple of weeks ago. The Week magazine picked it up and told you about it again. The Treasury Department has more than 20 people assigned to catching folks who violate the trade and tourism embargo on Cuba. It has four employees assigned to tracking the assets of Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. And for those of you keeping score, I wanted to pull out the John Solomon article off the AP wires of... Uh, about six weeks ago to give you those. Yes, 
The Office of Foreign Assets Control of the Treasury Department opened 93 enforcement investigations related to terrorism, i.e. Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, versus 10,683 enforcement investigations for possible violations of the longstanding economic embargo against Fidel Castro. Oh, and when it came to assessing funds, they did raise $9,400 for people that were financing terror, but they did take $8 million from people who were trafficking with Cuba. Usually people who sent money to, did business with, or traveled to Cuba without permission. Now, when I was in Mexico, I did talk to some people who did, in fact, sneak across the border over to Cuba. Their report, things are terrible and getting worse. People are unable to get aspirin. Now, you know, I understand that Fidel Castro is not necessarily such a great guy. The 77-year-old Cuban leader uh, was an unusually vituperative form, apparently on May 1st, when he slammed the Vicente Fox government of Mexico and the government of Peru for their um, going along with an American uh, UN vote that condemned Castro for human rights violations. Now, you know, if you're in Castro's Cuba and you criticize Castro, he has a... uh, a rather nasty tendency to throw you in jail. In fact, last year, Castro rounded up 75 campaigners for democracy and jailed them for long terms. It'll probably be a very good thing when Castro kicks the bucket and a, a more reasonable government, hopefully, can be installed on the island of Cuba. On the other hand, the embargo was put into place by President John Fitzgerald Kennedy to bring down Castro and he's still in power. I would say as an embargo, it's not been a rousing success. And I don't see how denying arthritic elderly people living in rural Cuba aspirin to ease their pain can be such a good thing. All right, let's move forward into some uh, some new items. Apparently down in Mississippi, the Emmett Till case has been reopened. State and federal authorities reopened the investigation of this 1955 murder, a murder which uh, galvanized the civil rights movement uh, in this country. Uh, Till was 14. He was from Chicago. He was visiting down in the Mississippi Delta. He apparently whistled at a white woman and made some remark that the uh, people down there didn't appreciate. Uh, which resulted in them murdering him and beating him up rather badly. His mother uh, decided to leave him in an open casket so the world could see what they did to her son. The main perpetrators, the suspects who were acquitted by an all-white jury, are believed to be dead, but a recent documentary suggested that five conspirators were still alive. So they're going to see if this late in the game, justice might uh, still be served. Interesting article cited in the Week magazine, they're reprinted from Steve Chapman in the Chicago Tribune, about gerrymandering, a subject near and dear to our hearts. Nine out of ten Americans live in congressional districts where elections now bear an uncomfortable resemblance to Soviet-style sham voting. The two parties, the Democrats and Republicans, have got a rather cozy arrangement with one another, to where the party bosses conspire to redistrict congressional borders in rather bizarre shapes. Have you seen some of the districts for assembly and, 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 and uh, state senate versus Congress? I mean, it is, it is bizarre. It's like uh, your neighbor a block away may have a totally different congressman because they will zigzag around voting districts, knowing voting patterns, to guarantee that whoever's in power stays there. Voters have almost no chance of removing a sitting legislator. In California, it was noted, 
52 of 53 congressional incumbents won landslide victories. Some states have stepped in to try and take the power of redistricting away from politicians and give them to appointed commissions. Arizona and Iowa did that. But of course, our U.S. Supreme Court struck down a challenge to Pennsylvania's rather blatantly unfair redistricting plan, which assures now that most states, in most states, the power will remain in the hands of the politicians. As Chapman notes, they'll be able to keep winning elections year after year after year after year, just like in the old Soviet Union. Now, uh, arguably one of the biggest stories in the last week was the surprising, rather surprising raid on the house of Ahmed Chalabi over in Iraq. Up to this point, it seemed clear that the U.S. government was going to hand over the reins of power in Iraq to Ahmed Chalabi. He's had certain influential friends in high places like Douglas Feith, Richard Pearl, Paul Wolfowitz, uh, salivating at the prospect of a supposedly pro-Israeli Iraqi government. Now, Chalabi's been regarded as a man who's been full of it by the State Department and the CIA. We've talked about this on the program before. In spite of his uh, partisans in in the Pentagon, uh, these people have thought his information has been abysmal and, um, well, it was. He's the guy that had the aluminum tubes, the Iraqi nuclear program, the bio program, all, all these weapons of mass destruction, all that stuff came from the Iraqi National Congress. Now, you have to ask, who's really to blame here? There's talk that he may be in bed with the Iranians. But, you know, isn't everybody on the same team here? The Iranians wanted to get rid of Saddam Hussein. The uh, Pentagon neocons wanted to get rid of Saddam Hussein, and Ahmed Chalabi certainly wanted to get rid of Saddam Hussein. So if they're all playing ball with one another, passing information back and forth to convince the public that Saddam is a threat when cooler heads knew all along he wasn't, well, uh, you know, I don't think this espionage matter, you know, is so important. But I'm really curious to know what it was that, about Chalabi that finally pushed them so far they just said to hell with it. He was tried in absentia for bank fraud in Jordan and sentenced to 22 years on 32 counts of fraud. His group got $39 million in the last four years from the U.S. taxpayer. So I'm not sure exactly which straw it was that broke the camel's back, but Chalabi now appears to be out. But then again, is he? Since he's been so influential all along, they've appointed his cronies everywhere in the new Iraqi government. It was his idea to debathify the government so that civil servants were all booted out and replaced with his people. So um, he's going to remain an influential figure in some circles, no matter what. Apparently, Tarek Aziz, uh, Saddam's uh, main man at the UN, told Tom Brokaw a couple of years ago, oh yeah, you guys can have Chalabi. You can feed him all the London broil and give him all the Scotch whiskey you want. We're not afraid of him. He's got no base of support here in Iraq. Well, we'll find out whether Tarek Aziz is right, won't we? And speaking of brilliant information, Homeland Security Secretary Tom Ridge said yesterday that, quote, I can confirm that we have seen for the past several weeks a continuous stream of reporting that talks about the possibility of attacks on the United States. Well, here at Radio Parallax, we'd like to confirm that we too have seen over the past several weeks a continuous stream of reporting that talks about the possibility of attacks on the United States. 
we would like to say right now that we are available for private contracting in lieu of the Homeland Security Department to continue to monitor that continuous stream of reporting at a fraction of the cost and report it to you. I don't find statements like this particularly helpful. Do you? Now, President Bush addressed the nation uh, a couple nights ago and said that the Abu Ghraib prison is now going to be dismantled. Apparently, in a related story, the nearby Abu Ghraib stable will now have the barn door closed and locked. Well, the Army Command is scrambling on this. They're reporting that they, gosh, they lost the Red Cross report that told them months earlier about the abuses going on at the prison. You know what? Does anyone have any doubt as to whether they're lying about this? Do you really think that low-level reservists from West Virginia are applying sophisticated known interrogation techniques to people without, without the approval and direction of the higher-ups in the military? I mean, they're trying to make these poor kids the fall guys for their commanding officers. Uh, you know, if you, if you believe this, please give us a call here at Radio Parallax because we've got a bridge we'd like to sell you. And if we're going to talk about how wrong things are going in Iraq, we have to talk about this attack on a wedding near the Syrian border that killed 40 civilians. The U.S. military's response is to say that there was no evidence of a wedding, no decorations, no musical instruments found, no large quantities of food or leftover servings one would expect from a wedding celebration. That's a direct quote from Brigadier General Mark Kimmett. There may have been some kind of celebration. Bad people have celebrations too. But the Associated Press television news went out to the scene and discovered that um, the videotape that was shot many hours long, in fact, shows a wedding, shows a bride in a Western-style bridal dress, shows celebrants, shows musicians, shows children playing. At the scene, they found fragments of musical instruments, pots and pans, and brightly colored bedding used for celebrations around a bombed-out tent. In the videotape, they found a stocky man with close-cropped hair playing an electric organ. Uh, And I also secured tape showing that same person, his face clearly visible and identifiable, wearing the same tan shirt, lying dead in a burial shroud. Reporters were able to confirm that uh, various children, injured children from the attack, are in local hospitals. Their parents are dead in some cases, their siblings are dead in some cases, and it does appear that this was an attack on a wedding party. Maybe bad people were passing through the area on the way to uh, support the, you know, the jihadists in in Iraq. I don't know, but, uh, you know, they certainly appeared to have screwed up in this case, and now they're lying about it. This has prompted Representative Nancy Pelosi, the fourth highest ranking person in the House, to say the president's leadership shows an incompetence in terms of knowledge, judgment, and experience. This has prompted Robert Matsui of Sacramento to say what Nancy Pelosi said about the president's incompetence is on a lot of people's minds. She called it like it is, and they're coming back with cheap shots. All right, we're running out of time. Uh, We will be returning shortly with Senator Eugene McCarthy, and you should definitely stay tuned for that. But I just want to add one final item. About 15 years ago, I made a trip to Asia and visited Burma, now known as Myanmar. Uh, The most magical part of that visit to this uh, rather isolated country was a trip out to Pagan. 
where the ruins of something like 2,000 temples were spread out as far as the eye could see. It was an absolutely enchanting and magical place. But since I visited, the Burmese government, which is argued by some to be one of the world's worst, decided that what it should do was restore the 2,000-odd temples out on the plain, which they've done with modern building materials. Uh, It's called by some uh, verging on Disneyfication. I'm really sad. I'm really saddened by this news because Bagan was one of those sleepers, uh, a place that, you know, I'll never forget as long as I live. Absolutely magical to see in the moonlight or for that matter, by the daylight. And um, it's now been ruined by the production of phony temples. In some cases, built on the ruin, sites of ruins. In some cases, just built uh, built next to them. You know, I'd always wanted, uh, these many years later, to take some time, some point in the future, and go return to that place and see it again. But um, you can't go home again. At least, uh, not in this case. And... The world is a poor place on account of it. Uh, uh, it's time for a new government in Burma. We're going to talk about Burma one of these days, but um, not today. You're listening to Radio Parallax. This is KDVS 90.3 FM. I'm your host, Douglas Everett, and stay tuned in our second segment for former Senator Eugene McCarthy. <laughs> <laughs> 